Welcome to episode 10 of the Creative Wellbeing Podcast, a series of real and raw conversations supporting the connection with your unique creative voice to inspire a fulfilling and beautiful life. I'm Jess Fitzgibbon, a musician, writer, and creative mentor. I'm so excited for today's episode with an incredible woman I had the pleasure of meeting and working with last year, Nina Karnakowski. I first came across Nina on Instagram for a live writing club she hosted on Saturday mornings during COVID, where she held space for her community to express themselves through the beautiful art of journaling. I went on to work with Nina one-on-one as a writing mentor, where we explored my poetry and short-form writing together as she supported me in the early stages of the Creative Wellbeing Project. Having worked as a travel writer for the past decade, Nina Karnakowski is now on her greatest adventure yet, communicating more conscious ways of traveling and living. The author of Go Lightly, How to Travel Without Hurting the Planet and Make a Living Living, Be Successful Doing What You Love, Nina's travel writing appears regularly in the Sydney Morning Herald's Traveller, the AFR's Life and Leisure, Condé Nast Traveller and more. Nina sits on the Conscious Traveller Foundation's panel of experts. Working at the convergence of creativity and sustainability, Nina also mentors writers and teaches writing and creativity workshops. In today's episode, Nina shares some amazing stories from her travel adventures and the life lessons she's learnt along the way. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me this morning to talk about conscious travel. Thank you for having me, Jess. I'm excited. I love talking about this. Yeah, and it's the perfect timing for me because I'm about to head off to Vietnam next week. So I've been um, reading your book, Go Lightly, this week. I got it from the library, actually, and (laughs) started borrowing books again, old school. (laughs) Good. I love that. I do that too. I think it's really important to support our libraries. And um, it's also just so nice to think about all the people who have read the book before you. So I'm so glad that you've been reading it. And um, has it changed anything for you in terms of planning? It has. Like I've I've actually even pre-reading the book, um, like I I started by booking a lot of accommodation through like booking.com. And then after I'd done that, I was like, why did I do that? And I've now like reached out to all the people directly to make sure I'm paying them directly. And just like I'm much more mindful this time around. And I'm also was a lot more mindful of like how many flights I'm taking and doing that slow travel where I'm going for three and a half weeks to one country and just really enjoying and soaking it up. So, oh, that's fantastic. I love hearing that. Yeah. But I can't wait to pick your mind this morning (laughs) about, you know, you're the travel um, expert, I'd say. So tell me, how did you, like, how did your travel writing journey begin? When did you first feel inspired to sort of go down that path? Well, it was actually earlier than I always thought that it was. Mm. Um, I thought that I had just fallen into it. And then I saw a couple of university friends 
later down the track who said to me, no, don't you remember? You would always say that you wanted to be the next Katrina Roundtree when you were asked (laughs) at university. And I did not even (laughs) remember that. And if there's anybody listening who doesn't know who she is, she's sort of the queen of Australian travel and um, hosted a show called Getaway. And um, so I suppose that desire was there then. But I... I had always loved it. And then I started out in magazines as a, um, as a junior writer. So basically doing all the stories that uh, the more senior journalists didn't want to do. And I slowly made my way up. I was writing about lifestyle. So food, fashion, bit of travel, a tiny bit of travel. And then my boss got moved over to the travel team. So it was one of those very happy coincidences where a role opened up and I put my hand up for it and it just suddenly it was happening. And that, you know, one week, I think I was working on a story about um, couples who, these are the stories I used to write, couples who lived in different houses. So people who were married, but lived in separate houses. So I I was halfway through that story And then suddenly it was like, no, you're a travel writer now. And the next week (laughs) I was doing a very intense meditation retreat in Bali. And then the week after that, I was sort of in New Zealand, helicoptering into um, vineyards and, you know, going to Louis Vuitton and being gifted a scarf. And I just (laughs) couldn't, I didn't understand what was happening or, you know, how many lives I had saved in a previous um, existence <laughs> to enjoy yeah. this kind of yeah exactly glamour and all of that it was it was amazing mm. Mm. did you travel a lot as a child like did you feel that this sort of came ac- across your path serendipitously like did you feel that oh this is where I want to be or did it really fall into your lap as you say well it's interesting I'm actually just finishing off a memoir at the moment Mm. and reflecting a lot on those sorts of questions and I actually didn't travel very much as a child and I had a really stable upbringing so Mm. you know my parents are still together they've been in the same house for over 50 years we very rarely went anywhere that wasn't local you know, um, little road trips in the big beaten up silver station wagon, Um, (laughs) nothing too exciting. But I think I didn't, you know, because it was so safe and stable, I then wanted the exact opposite of that, Mm. as so many of us do. So Mm. I wanted more, you know, I just, when I dreamed of my future, I didn't dream of those things that I had. I didn't dream of stability or a house or kids or anything. I dreamt Mm. of, yeah, really getting out and seeing the world and um, having quite an unstable life that seemed Mm. really bohemian and exciting to me. So I think that's that was really the genesis of it. And then I studied French in high school and then at university and I did journalism with international studies at university and um, partway through that you had to spend a year overseas as part of the international studies degree. Mm. Um, and so I lived in France for that year and that was it for me. I, um, you know, did the thing that all Aussies do. I saw as much of Europe as I possibly could, which now Mm. with my current stance on things, I probably probably (laughs) wouldn't have done. But in that four month university break, I think I went to 15 countries or something like that. Um, And that, yeah, that was really the beginning of this just voracious desire to see the entire Mm. world. 
Yeah, and go on lots of adventures. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's um important for people to prioritize travel in their life, having done it so much? Yeah, I think that it is because, you know, travel accounts for a lot of bad things. I'm just going to say the negative mm. thing first. Put the disclaimer. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is, you know, all of the obvious things that we all know, the carbon emissions, um, it accounts for quite a lot of carbon emissions. Um, mm. And then there's the degradation of wild and wildlife areas. There's also... Um, you know, we've seen it all with towns being over-touristed, the mm. pictures of Venice that we see in Dubrovnik and all of that. But at the same time, it accounts for one in 10 jobs globally. And mm. on a personal level, it just brings so much to all of our lives in terms of expanding our minds, keeping mm. us open-minded, understanding difference, mm. and also being able to understand our place in the global scheme of things, which is, I think, just vitally important and getting more important as time goes on and the world gets crazier. Um, Mm. I think being able to see outside of our small sphere is just so essential to being good humans on the planet. Mm, Yeah. And I think it is. um, What do you think, you know, you've learned over the years, some personal um, kind of because I guess you go on these trips and we we get a lot of space away from our normal lives and often that really opens up our mind as well to thinking of new possibilities and also being in new cultures and seeing new things we often learn a lot when we travel about ourselves and there's that internal journey that happens along with the external um you know what sort of lessons did you learn in those earlier years maybe um and maybe even later to you know today in your more recent trips what do you find coming up for you when you travel Mm. I love that question because I actually feel and I'm going to say something quite hyperbolic here which is that (laughs) everything important that I've learned possibly is through travel wow (laughs) because it's just one of those forces in our lives that I, I don't think I've ever had a trip even if it was just staying in a hotel somewhere and not not connecting with the place that much, which is something that I really dislike. Mm. Um, but if I've even had to do that for work, there's always been something. So mm. um, my sphere was always sort of the far-flung corners of the globe. So I would go to places like Papua New Guinea or Mongolia or Ethiopia or Antarctica these were all the places that I loved seeing and yeah it turns out um not that many people loved other travel writers were more interested in sort of Europe and those those sorts of things but I loved those places so I'd often get sent there and I'm just thinking of of a few of the really impactful ones for example when I went to Mongolia we spent a few days with a nomadic family because I think it's something like 45% of Mongolians are still living as nomads out on the steppe. And so we were in their Gur camp and we were just there um, watching their daily life and um, asking each other questions and drinking yak vodka around the bonfire at night and going and riding their wild horses. And it was, it was such a powerful experience. And that was that was that real lesson of 
we the less that we have I think mm. often the happier we are because this nomadic family I mean the essence of being a nomad is not having very much so that you can pack everything up on the back of your yaks pack up your girl and go and travel for two days to find a new encampment mm. and just seeing the level of connection between this very large family and how joyful they were unencumbered um was such a an important lesson for mm. me and seeing things like you know they slaughtered a goat for us to feast on while we were there and that is not something that they take lightly they mm. were skinning it so that they could use the skin every internal organ you know even the casing of the organs was being dried on the top of the gur so that they could use it as a bag for something else then you know nose to tail eating there there wouldn't have been a part of the animal that they would mm. not um that they would not use and they they are very respectful of life and i think seeing things like that we we can remember how far uh we have come from from that sort of mindset you know mm. when we when we shop in supermarkets and things where meat is packaged no man no wonder we've lost our way because we've mm. lost that kind of connection mm. um so i think experiences like that have really shaped me you know it was a similar thing with the himba tribe in namibia and i mean a little disclaimer here to say that you know you spend a few days with these people i can't speak for their um you know the truth of their entire existence but certainly from the time that i spent with them and research that i did afterwards um the himba tribe it was the same thing they had these little earthen huts that are the size of i, I would say 2 meters squared maximum and that might be a family of 5 sleeping in there they wear the same thing every day they cover their bodies in this ochre paste to keep the mosquitoes and the sun away and they had you know one bowl one spoon one pelt per family to to use for daily life and beyond that it was just about being outside all together the women when i was there were just all sitting around together and you know taking care of the children the children kind of belonged to everybody and mm. they were just talking and laughing and going and doing their jobs together and they could not believe sort of asking my guide who was interpreting between us you know why why is she here why is she here alone mm. how did she get here and i'm trying to explain <laughs> to them oh you know well i'm here for work and i came from australia and they just were looking at me with this knitted brow like they felt so sorry for me and i thought wow yeah because for them they're never alone to yeah. be alone and traveling and here on my own it would be a really horrible thought for them because community mm. is everything mm. so you know that was another uh experience where i kind of thought okay so yeah we've we've come we've come a long way from understanding the power of community and togetherness and sharing in the um sometimes tedious aspects of daily life how much more beautiful to do that in community mm. like they were absolutely yeah yeah and i think that's the thing like a lot of us i think especially post covid are really craving that sense of simplicity like i know 
I'm very much in a place of just wanting to be so much more rather than do, do, do. And it's just the everyday tasks like cooking your food or bathing or going for a walk or socializing that mean the most and really being so intentional with those things. And I think when we go and travel, it is like we come back so inspired. And it's always interesting, though, to see, um, you know, because it's often easy to be become inspired and then just forget about integrating that into our lives when we get home and it can be easy just to swing back into you know the momentum of things and the pace of things from you know I know you're up in um, the northern rivers area so you're not in a big city but I know you know you live a busy life and have like what are some of the things that you've actually integrated into your life from experiencing these sorts of um I know seeing people live this way, have there been any small rituals or, you know, it doesn't have to be huge changes even because often it's the small things that count, right? Mm, Absolutely. I mean, I think in terms of getting attached to possessions and things, I think Mm. it's changed things quite a lot for me in that Mm. way. And it's something I need to constantly remind myself of and stay vigilant with because we live in a society, a capitalist society, mm. that is all based around trying to make us want things that we don't need and getting us into that trap of doing jobs that we hate in order to make money to buy the things that we don't need. And it just <laughs> makes no sense. And it's up to us. It's incumbent upon us because the whole system is set up like that mm. to resist that. Mm. And so that when I remember these places and the happiness of these people and these communities, I think, okay, let, let's let just take a step back from that consumer um, treadmill and take a moment to reflect on whether you really want this thing. So Mm. here's a really concrete example. So now Mm. when I, and I love beautiful things. I'm a Taurus. Mm. I really love aesthetics. (laughs) I love, I do love beautiful things, but Mm. often it's just looking at the thing can be enough. Mm. And I want something and I'll have a little list on my phone and I'll write down the thing. And then I will not get it in the moment and review it in a week's time. And if I still desperately want that thing, I'll think about it for a bit longer and maybe make the purchase. But it's this Mm -hmm. thing of like really reflecting on something as simple as that, because that can change your entire life if you start thinking that way, like not Mm -hmm. just going on this impulse to buy and purchase, but what do you really want from that thing? Is it that you're feeling uninspired and you want something beautiful. So, and if that's what you, what the feeling is, which often it is for me, I'm feeling uninspired. I need Mm. something to lift me in that way. I'll try and go and make something instead. Mm. So I will go and write something or I will, I love making paper. So I will make some paper. Oh, it's Mm. so much fun. Um, or making a meal or something like that. It's often the impulse is actually a creative impulse when we Mm. want to buy something Mm. Um, and we have the means often to do it. So we fall into this kind of laziness almost of, Mm. of purchasing and, you know, consuming rather than creating. Mm. Um, And my first book was about creative living Um, it was called make a living living and it profiled these 25 creatives from around the world who'd make a living 
doing what they loved, so a chocolatier or an Armenian artist or a Japanese tiny home builder, all these people who were living these really really fulfilling lives outside of the nine to five. And I was really trying to dig into how they did that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, the the way that they had made that a reality for themselves was doing exactly what I'm talking about, which is reflecting on your true desires. Mm. Okay. So maybe they're not making as much money as they could if they were working as a corporate lawyer, say, mm. but they have intentionally made that choice. Okay. I'm going to pair everything back. I'm going to create rather than consume. I'm going to really look at my life and see where I can pull things back so that I can live the greatest joy, which is Mm. living in alignment with your own values and creative urges. Mm. Um, So I often think of those people too. Mm. Um, But I mean, back to your original question, it is just daily there's there's things that I do that I've picked up from other places you know even here's something tiny this morning before we got on this call I went for a walk with my dog and I looked at my phone to see what the time was and I have an image on there of this shrine that I this very beautiful shrine from a recent trip that I took to India mm-hmm. and the woman whose shrine it was, so an amazing woman who has a company called Sahili Women. It's a um it's a not weaving um it's a like a textile company, not for profit, mm-hmm. based out of India, and she empowers over 90 women. It's just the most amazing, wow. inspiring woman. Anyway, it was her um temple, her shrine in the workshop that she created for these women. And she had the picture of the shrine on her phone. And when she would look at it, she would press it to her forehead. And and she said to me, because it has the goddess Durga, which is the goddess of um, of the the feminine inside us all. Mm -hmm. And so, and when I saw, I noticed, I said, you're always pressing your phone to your forehead. What's going on there every time you look at it? And she said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of my women. And I'm thinking of of Durga, the goddess, every time I do that. And I just thought that was the most beautiful thing. And so mm-hmm. I also took a picture of the Durga shrine. And now when I look at my phone, I feel also the urge to press it to my forehead and think of all the incredible women in my life and those women on that trip and, you know, why we're trying to all do a bit better on this mm-hmm. earth because we're doing it for each other. Mm, that's so beautiful. And to just have that wisdom um, passed on, you know, and that's the beautiful thing. When we're traveling, we have the opportunity to meet people that we never have an opportunity to meet <clears throat> in other circumstances. How do you, like, how has it changed for you? You know, is it? do you find it really comfortable to connect with people from all of these vast cultures? Because obviously there's language barriers and cultural differences like what have you learned along the way about forming like these genuine authentic connections where you can be speaking away from you know the small talk (laughs) yeah I mean um I I do feel very I actually feel more comfortable and I still having written this (laughs) this new book which really is diving into these things I don't Mm. think I've still gotten to the bottom of it but I actually feel more comfortable in those Mm. situations where I am the outsider looking 
in. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that feeling. I love being the stranger in the strange place and learning and not knowing people and and starting from that point um, where there's so much kind of honesty and authenticity and there's no baggage that you're carrying with you in that state. Um, so I am very comfortable in that. Um, and I think that so much of communication is nonverbal. So I was mm. just talking about my experience with Sahili women. So I was with them for about a week in Jodhpur in Rajasthan. And none of those women, oh, a few of them, but not a lot of them spoke English at mm. all. Um, and I don't speak Mawari or Hindi, mm. which they were speaking. And um a lot of the time my host, Madhu Vaishnav, this incredible woman who has created Sahili women, she was not there because she was busy running her empire. Um, And (laughs) so I would just sit with the women and, you know, we would just, they would speak in Mawari. I would sort of look at their face and their gestures and they were talking to me. And I, I would just respond in English with what I thought that they had said. And we would have this conversation and we'd just be laughing. And then, you know, they would, you know, they would pick up my necklace or something and they would make a comment and then I would touch their dress and make a comment. And we kind of knew, Mm -hmm. we knew what was happening and then they might sort of touch their belly and I knew, okay, they're talking about, do I have a baby? Mm -hmm. Um, And then they would point to my wedding ring. And I know that we're talking about my husband or, you know, it was, it's so beautiful to be reminded of that, that communication Mm -hmm. is so much more than words. And I think often words can be so limiting Mm. and it can be so freeing to be in that space of nonverbal communication and to remember the power of that. And, and, and to think that, you know, just simply smiling at somebody or just looking into one another's eyes, you can say so much more than you could Mm. with words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so true. And, you know, I'm someone who loves a good conversation, but even recently I've just been finding myself thinking it's just so much on the mind level and it's also exhausting sometimes to be in these conversations for hours and hours and there's ways to connect with people without words and to feel that connection and you know I've only really just started my journey with solo travel Mm. Um, I did a trip last year to Tassie by myself and I had a few people asking me like were you lonely and I was like well no because you see people out and about, you're around people all the time, a smile, like a few words here and there. It doesn't even have to be like, I didn't feel any less connected to the person I'd sat on a boat with for like a few hours and had a, a conversation with. It's just that re- recognition, I guess, of each other. And um, especially when you're in an, a new place, there's a, there's a respect too, isn't there? Respect that is happening as an exchange between two people. Exactly. Yes. And, and on, I'm so happy to hear that you are exploring that realm of solo travel, because, you know, if we're talking about um, more sustainable travel, I think so much of that is developing a greater curiosity and a greater, um, ability to connect to the destination that we're in. Mm. And I think when you are alone, you have such a greater uh, 
capacity to do that because your blinkers mm. are off. You're not constantly talking to the person that you're with and, and kind of blocking other things out. You're mm. so wide open to the world mm. and and therefore you are going to be more curious and you are going to learn more. Um, I always found that I adore traveling on my own. And luckily I have a very understanding husband who <laughs> um, gets it and often he cannot make it on the trips that I do. Um, and often it's not appropriate for me to, to bring him because it's for work. Um, mm. But I love it. I think that it... Um, yeah, it really keeps us open. And I mean, just when you think about when you are traveling on your own and you see a couple, you're much less likely to go up and start a conversation with them than you would with a single person. Mm. Um, so I just think that it's something that we should all do more, uh, even mm. if we are in relationships, even if we do have families to go off and just experience what that is. And I think it rem- it helps us remember what our essence is too. Mm. Um, not only connecting more deeply to the place, but connecting more deeply to ourselves and really taking something away from that experience. Mm. Yeah. And I think like what stopped me from traveling solo earlier was this sense of it's not safe. And these stories that, um, you know, get passed down or fed through you know whatever but it's really like it's only until you start traveling solo do you realize that a sense of safety really is an internal thing that has to be cultivated and it is travel that helps build things like that and allowing the world to show you that it's there to look after you and Mm -hmm. people are so beautiful and friendly and connection is safety that's exactly right. Yes. And I don't think that any of us can be immune to danger. I don't mm. think that that's possible. And I've certainly had some situations that I've, you know, gotten myself into that actually in hindsight, I realized I, you know, I actually knew that it wasn't the safest thing to be doing. Mm. So I think there's also that it's, it's this thing of, really getting in touch with our intuition and that internal compass that you Mm. were mentioning. And I think we can only do that when we Mm. are on our own. Like what is that little voice inside of me saying about this particular situation? You know, should I be going into that bar alone at 1am? You know, probably not, maybe, (laughs) I don't know. But like Mm. if, if you have at all that sense of doubt, we I just think it, it's it's so essential for us to trust in that voice, to be able to hear even that mm. voice, which I think I feel like I'm constantly trying to cultivate that, mm. constantly trying to hear that voice because it's not something that we are taught to do in mm. modern society. It's, you know, we're not taught to trust that. We're taught mm. to always look outside of ourselves for that sense of security and safety and knowing with a capital K, um, it's there inside of us. And I think traveling on your own is a really, really probably the best way to cultivate that. Mm, yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah, with the with the fear and the discomfort, I think everyone experiences different limitations around travel. For some it might be I can't afford it or I don't have enough money or 
I don't have the time or there's lots of different things, but often it's like there's an underlying fear that might be there. And I think travel has a way of magnifying our life and ourselves Mm. to us. And we can come home once we've learned these new skills and put them into practice. It's almost like travel is a practice in itself. Um, How have you dealt with like fear and discomfort? You mentioned earlier, like your, some of your colleagues were turning down the work that you were most drawn to. Um, Do you think you just have a capacity to hold more discomfort or what do you think stops people from taking these trips that are a bit more out of their comfort zone? Mm. Yeah, well, I think for me, I it, it's been a way of <laughs> dealing with my inner tendencies, which are actually not to move towards fear. Mm. Um, I don't think that that is my natural state. As a child, mm. I was a real scaredy cat of absolutely everything you could imagine. <laughs> I didn't want to be near animals because they terrified me. <laughs> I didn't want to go in the ocean because I thought I would drown. I I honestly was just happiest when I was at home in my room, not seeing anybody, not doing anything. <laughs> I was incredibly shy, all those things. And so travel, I think, has been a real way. Oh, and And I must say that I guess that was a low level form of anxiety when I was small. And then when I got into my late Mm. teens, I experienced very intense anxiety and Mm. panic attacks and all this sort of thing. And travel, when I moved to France for that year, when I was talking about during my university degree, I found travel to be such a balm with that because I had to face all these Mm. fears that I had been harboring and that had built up into this anxiety. And so I then after that really looked to travel as a way of confronting my fears and moving past them because that is the only way. I mean, if you read up anything about anxiety or speak to a psychologist about it, it's all about that. Like you, mm. the therapy is good doing the thing that you don't want Exposure to do. Exposure therapy. Exposure <laughs> therapy, exactly. Um, so, you know, it, it was really doing that and kind of facing them one by one and, you know, fear of heights and fear of flying mm. and all these things. Like I say, I was afraid of everything. Um, so I think that there was this desire in me to really go there. And I don't think that that's everybody's tendency. And that's also no. fine because I think sometimes, you know, it is insanity to, to go and do the things that you don't really want to do. But uh, the joy of that is that once you have done it, there's all these doors that just open up for you mm. everywhere. And suddenly you realize, oh, okay, if I can do that. And I've been telling myself this, I had this story about myself for such a long time that I wasn't brave and that I wasn't like everybody else able to just go and do these things. I realized that was actually a false narrative and I was in control of changing that. Mm. And I think I got addicted to that. Amazing. Um, it's a good thing to get addicted to. Yeah. <laughs> That's not growth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's I think it's a good thing. But like I say, not necessarily for everybody. Yeah. Um but but travel is it was the greatest um therapy for me in that sense. Mm-hmm. And as a creative, like you know, we always hear of artists and creatives and their travel journeys and the inspiration and motivation that comes from that. How have you found travel um, in terms of 
when you're traveling, are you writing while you're traveling or do you come home and write? How, how has it fueled your creativity? Mm, I love that concept because again, it's just this huge creative force. And I actually didn't realize how much I was aware, obviously, because I always felt very inspired because I was constantly Mm. getting filled up by that stuff. But then when I decided to pull back from traveling, which actually happened about four months before the pandemic hit, because I had this the story for another time, but I had a very confronting experience in the Arctic where I was faced with all the detrimental effects of travel and 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 how it was really impacting, you know, the polar bears there mm-hmm. and the state of the planet and all of that. So I I pulled back and I wrote to my editors and I said, I need some time off. I need to figure out how to do this in a better way that is mm-hmm. more nourishing for the world and ultimately decided Um, of course, then when I was ready to go again, the pandemic hit, but I had already decided um, that it's all about less, but better. Mm. But during that time, so because I, and then I wrote go lightly and I, and I decided, okay, instead of traveling overseas 12 times a year, Mm. I will do it once or twice and do it for a longer period of time and gather more stories and have a much um, more deep reciprocal relationship with the place. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first time that I traveled was in October of last year, which by then it had been, I think, over three years since I'd gone anywhere. And it wasn't until I took that trip that I realized, whoa, yes, I had been missing this (laughs) to such a huge level that I think I had become... Yeah, I mean, everything had gotten quiet and small in a very beautiful way. And that taught me so much as well. And I think Mm. it can teach all of us a lot. But there's also an undeniable creative force just from Mm. being out in the world. And I mean, when I am when I'm there for a story, which I 90% of the time Mm. am, um, I am taking photographs. I am because of course now it's sort of multi-dimensional being a travel writer is actually being a travel content producer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So videos and photos and taking notes constantly and having good conversations with people. And um, I usually don't write the story until I've been back for at least a couple of weeks because Mm -hmm. I need to digest and understand what the story actually Mm. was. But I I generally have a vague idea of of what it will be, which can change um, while I'm there and depending on who I meet and all those sorts of things. Um, So all of those things coming together, you know, being in this place and meeting new people and having all these new experiences, but Mm. also doing all those creative acts. And I would encourage anyone who, you don't have to be a travel writer at all to to really digest places in that way because that's what creativity when you're in a place can really do. I mean, Mm. you know, sitting at a cafe and writing about what you are seeing, it slows the experience down and and it really helps you observe everything in a deeper way and connect to it, uh, in, in a, in a bigger way. Same with taking photographs when you do that mm. uh, mindfully, let's say. So it's not just snapping yeah, not thousands of photos. <laughs> yeah, I think if you, you know, for Go Lightly, I interviewed the um, amazing 
photographer, Jimmy Nelson, who um, he photographs remote tribes all around the world. And when I asked him for his tips for traveling more sustainably, he said he suggested taking a film camera and just one roll of film mm. and taking just one photograph every day. Can you imagine mm. in the world yeah. that we live in now? But I think how creative is that? Can you mm. imagine just waiting mm. for that decisive moment and thinking, does this encapsulate the experience that I'm having today right now in this moment? Mm. Like what does this photograph really say? So I haven't done it yet, but definitely I've been yeah I've been wondering whether to take my film camera to Vietnam I took it to Tasmania and it is it's like you have to be so much more mindful and I stuffed up like I was really overtired one night changing the film over and like exposed it and I was like oh my god (laughs) because it's precious like you really have to be very considerate of what you're doing it's not like you can just capture that moment again and it makes you really also when it's like that you're really soaking it up a lot more because you're only relying on one photo so it's like I've really got to soak this in as a memory as well (laughs) exactly yeah but I love that you just said that because I think that's an analogy for the whole deeper travel experience Mm. and and traveling quote unquote, more lightly mm. is all about that mindfulness, slowing mm. things down, really questioning why you're doing things. And mm. that can go from everything of if you're rushing around and you're just quickly trying to find a meal, you're more likely to say like, go to a chain place mm. where the money is going to get siphoned out of the country you're in rather than going, okay, hang on, let's just wait a minute. Is this a locally owned place where the money mm. is going to go back into the pockets of locals? You know, like every step of the way, or if you're shopping in a destination, a foreign Mm. destination, and you're about to buy something because you're in a rush and I just need to get somebody a gift. But if you're like slowing that experience down, you're less likely again to just buy something that's been made overseas and you'll seek out, you know, an artisan from Mm. that destination who's making something really beautiful that, Mm. that you will treasure for the rest of your life. And again, go back into the pockets of locals. So I think on every single element of travel, it's bringing that mindfulness to it. And when people ask me, okay, so how do I travel more sustainably? There's sort of two, three main things Mm. that I say now. The first is less but better trips, because the reality is we're not going to stop traveling. And like Mm. we said at the start of the call, there's, there's so many incredible reasons to do it so Mm. we're doing less but better we're bringing that deep sense of thoughtfulness and mindfulness Mm. to everything so that Mm. we are ensuring that the most amount of our travel dollars are going into the pockets of locals that we are doing the good where we can do it um, and that you know our travel is as nourishing for us as it is for the host destination and I think another thing is putting nature at the center of our yeah, journeys. Absolutely. So really saying, okay, you know, how can I get out into the natural world while I'm here? Because, you know, there's that famous Jacques Cousteau quote, uh, we protect what we love. Mm-hmm. And so we're really just trying to fall in love with this world and, mm-hmm. you know, be put in that position of war because that's really what pushes us to act. You know, I, um, it's a very quick anecdote that I went on this trip. um, uh, I think it was 
at the end of last year, I'm losing track of time with um, <laughs> with the Climate Council and Groundswell, that's a climate funding platform. And so they bring all these cultural influences to Heron Island and basically bombard you with all of the doom and gloom information about <laughs> climate change um, while being on the barrier reef, seeing everything that we're fighting to save. And then mm-hmm. they're like, okay, now break off into groups and come up with solutions. How are we going to spread the message about this? How are we going to save the world? Um, And we went out on the reef one day and I was there swimming around and there are black tip reef sharks and manta rays and all these incredible creatures. But my attention was just zoomed into this little jellyfish that at first I was trying to swim away from because I didn't want to get stung. (laughs) And then I realized that it was actually a jelly comb, which is slightly different. I now know but covered in these little rainbow electric um, kind of zigzags all coming down its body. It was the most beautiful thing, I think, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And I was just so entranced by it, these rainbows all coming down this jelly cones body and then noticed that there was a little tiny psychedelic iridescent fish living inside the jellyfish (gasps) in this symbiotic relationship. (laughs) And I just was like yelling over everybody, you've got to come and see this. There is a psychedelic magical jellyfish here. How <laughs> is this possible? And I just, ever since that trip, getting out of the water that day, I just thought, oh my God, like that is what we are trying to do. We're trying to yeah. make sure that we are all living on a planet that is conducive to all of life on earth, but you know, where the, the water is not too hot for a psychedelic rainbow jellyfish. Mm. So I think we can bring I love that, story. that. Yeah. We can bring that mindset to um I mean everything we do throughout our days but also to travel you know like is this mm. am I going to be a nourishing force for the place that I'm in mm. am I going to be awed by this place and find my totem that's going to keep me going you know yours might not be the rainbow jellyfish but you might find something and actually maybe that's something you can do in and tell me what you find when you go yeah. to Vietnam, the yeah. thing that just just knocks your socks off and you think, okay, that's what we're trying to be a little bit better for. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be more than one. And I think because <laughs> I love beauty too and I think most of us do and how can we, you know, the thing is the most beautiful things in the world are free and mm-hmm. are accessible to us now and they're the things that need to be, we need to be putting our money into to protect and that's, I, I always use this example. I went to the art gallery one day and saw this beautiful art and then went out to do the coastal walk in Sydney and just saw the most stunning sunset. And you're like, oh. you can't top that. Like you can't buy anything that is more beautiful than that. Oh, that is so true. That yeah, just gave yes. me goosebumps. And <laughs> and I think that's what we're looking for is things that will give us goosebumps or bring mm. us to tears. You know, I heard this yeah. beautiful um, on the On Being podcast, uh, one of the latest episodes where they were talking about um, with this amazing man whose name I've forgotten now, but he was talking about, you know, awe and wonder live in the body. It's Mm. an actual physical response. And when we get things like goosebumps and tears, it's telling us that we are in that state of awe and wonder. So we're actually, our job is to kind of seek out those experiences Mm. that bring that up in us. So it's beautiful. (laughs) I love that. 
Oh, well, I would love to talk to you for longer, but I think we should. We've had so much beautiful stories and that's what I love most about you. You have so many amazing stories. (laughs) And these are the stories that will inspire, I'm sure, many people to travel more sustainably and to appreciate um, and have intention when they travel too. I think that's the main thing to have intention. Um, What was your intention around your creative work at the moment and what are you working on in the world right now? Uh, well, two things. I'm working yes. on a set of writing prompt cards, which will be almost like a tarot card deck. And oh. so it will be, there'll be a little booklet in there that will tell you how to create a daily journaling ritual. And then the cards will be broken up into sections. So different feelings. So motivated, inspired, activated, and you'll choose what you want to feel. And then you pick one of those cards and there'll be a a deep prompt on there that will hopefully really get you thinking and writing and, and writing in a way that is just for you. It's, Mm. it's just for your personal development and Mm. um, your creative juices to get those flowing. Um, So, you know, the intention behind that is just that I think that we all could benefit from being more in touch with ourselves and our creativity. Um, And it's such a gift to give ourselves and the world. So hopefully that will get more people into doing that. Um, And then the other thing is this memoir that I've been talking about, which is Mm. very much based around um, the idea of coming into deeper connection with the natural world and reflecting on the things that we do every day and the intentions behind them. So um, again, that's the the intention there is to, is to just put that idea of intentionality and Mm. um, mindfulness um, really into people's consciousness. Mm. And also the idea of reciprocity, you know, how do we give back? I think we're Mm. all wondering how to do that all of the time. So what does that actually look like and and mm. how can we do that in a way that really matters? Oh, it's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Nina. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jess. I can't wait for round two sometime in the future. Yes, amazing. <laughs> thank you for listening and you can learn more about Nina via her website or Instagram, which I've linked in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to share it with a friend and you can also show your support by making a donation via my website, jessicafitzgibbon.com.